Good morning, and welcome to the Lindsley Avenue Church of Christ message. And uh, we're grateful for all of our members tuning in this morning and for all of our visitors. If you've never been to the Lindsley Avenue Church of Christ, we would love uh, for you to join us one Sunday when our services resume. And uh, thank you so much for joining us. And we hope that today the message will inspire you and encourage you uh, during your week. We're going to be studying from Luke chapter 9, verses 23 and 25. But before we get into that lesson and that scripture, will you join me in a word of prayer as we pray for our world and as we pray for each other? Father God, thank you so much for loving us. And Father, we are so mindful of so many who are hurting, who are sick, and we just pray for healing in this nation and in this world. Father, we pray that very soon a vaccination will be found, and we just desire for this world to get better. And not only do we pray for the physical, but we also pray for the spiritual. We pray for spiritual healing, for people to come to a knowledge of the truth and for forgiveness of sins. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to be talking about the cross and the crown. And Luke chapter 9 verses 23 and following is where we're going to land. But before we get there, we are worshiping today on what is known as Palm Sunday. And of course, this is the Sunday that precedes Resurrection Sunday or Easter Sunday. And Palm Sunday is that day in which Jesus came into Jerusalem and he had a triumphant entry into the city. And when he came into the city, the people bowed down in adoration to him. And it says that they put the palm leaves before Jesus as he rode in on the colt. And they even put their clothes down in veneration to Jesus. And they said, blessed is the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, son of David. And the people rejoiced and there was great anticipation. There was great expectation as to what Jesus was going to do. And it says that the people had witnessed and had seen all of the mighty acts in which Jesus had performed. And just days before, Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead in the town of Bethany just outside of Jerusalem. And now, Jesus, the King, Son of David, is entering into Jerusalem. And so all of the people were on the edges of their seats, wondering what Jesus was going to do. And of course, Jesus was entering into the last week of his earthly life. And his life, and in that week, there came controversy. In fact, one of the first things that Jesus does when he enters Jerusalem is that he goes into the temple. And what he sees in the temple is that people are taking advantage of other people. And that the high priest and his family 
were taking advantage of poor people who had traveled great distances to worship God. And so he sees this great injustice in God's house. Remember in Luke chapter 2, when Jesus is just a boy, he's found in the temple and he tells his parents, I must be about my father's business. And what he finds in his father's house, what he finds in the temple is not people busy with the business of the father, but people busy in the business for themselves. And so Jesus is provoked and he drives out the money changers and he disrupts the temple. And he says, this temple has become a den of thieves and it's no longer a house of prayer. So great controversy ensues in this last week of Jesus's life. And Jesus comes into Jerusalem during the Passover. And this was a very important ancient feast for the people of Israel in which they celebrated their emancipation from Egypt. And so Christ comes in during this feast and becomes the Passover. But it also, the week ends in betrayal, in humiliation, and Jesus' own disciple Judas betrays him and sells him out. And all of the disciples forsook him. And so what started at the beginning of the week as this triumphant entry into Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives where you could see the whole city in a panoramic view ends not with an earthly crown, but with a crown composed of thorns. Our minds harken back to the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3 where it says, Cursed is the ground and from it will come thorns and thistles and Christ wears this crown of thorns, is beaten and crucified. So at the center of the gospel story is a cross, is a cross. And at the story of Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem is a cross. The Jewish people of Jesus' day understood fundamentally what the cross represented and what it meant. Some have estimated that in the life of Jesus, 30,000 Jewish people were crucified during his lifetime. So the cross was a part of their consciousness. They knew what it meant. It was a form of execution, Roman execution to those who had rebelled. In fact, William Barclay, the, the Bible scholar, recounts that probably when Jesus was just 11 years old, Judas the Galilean led a revolt in the city of Sepphoris, which was only four miles from Nazareth. And Judas the Galilean had raided the royal armory. And as a result, Sepphoris was burned. And then they crucified 2,000 of the rebels along the roads leading into the city, giving a stern warning to the Jewish people that if you rebel, 
there is this cruel cross that is before you. The cross. And in Luke chapter 9, during Jesus' ministry, Jesus begins to tell his disciples that he will suffer. In fact, in Luke chapter 9, 22, it says, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Jesus begins to explain to his disciples that he is going to face rejection and crucifixion and resurrection. But his disciples can't understand it at this time. They can't seem to comprehend it. And then Jesus goes on to say this to his disciples in his teaching. Then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus begins to teach about the cross even before he's hung upon it. And in fact, he uses the cross as the spiritual lesson for his own disciples. The first thing that Jesus says in his teaching is the word if. And when we think about the word if, it's this small word, isn't it? It's only two letters, but that small word has so much to it, doesn't it? Sometimes when I look at my own life, I begin to look back over the course of my life and I begin to play the if game. Have you? And so sometimes I say, I wonder what would happen if I would have said this or if I would have done that. You see, Jesus begins this statement in this teaching by saying the word if. And what Jesus is driving home to each of us is that ultimately the choice to follow him is one dependent on each of us. You see, it is dependent, it is contingent on the if, on whether you will accept the call to follow Jesus. There's a choice involved. Jesus does not coerce us or force us. He calls us to choose him. In fact, Joshua said to the people of Israel in Joshua chapter 24, 14, choose whom you will serve this day. And so it is a choice. It is a matter of if we want to follow him. He also says, anyone, if anyone desires to come after me. And so he uses this word, anyone. In fact, in Mark chapter eight, when it discusses this in that gospel, it says that Christ summons the crowd into himself. And what we understand about the gospel message is that it is universal. That the call to repentance, the call to following Jesus, the call to the promises and blessings of Jesus is open to every person. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. 
It says in 1 Timothy 2, 4, God desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. God desires every person to be saved. If anyone desires to come after me. When we think about COVID-19, when we think about this desire for a vaccine or for a cure, can you imagine if a country finds the cure, but they say, hey, only our people is going, are going to receive this cure. That this vaccine or this cure is only for the Chinese or this cure is only for the Italians or this cure is only for Americans. We would be horrified, wouldn't we? There would be outrage. Why aren't you sharing this cure for everyone? And the same is true with salvation, that Jesus offers the vaccine. Jesus offers the cure to every person. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither bond nor free. For neither male nor female, we are all one in Christ Jesus. If anyone desires to come after me, but then he also uses that word desire, doesn't it? And so it, it has to do with what is inside the heart of each of us. What do you truly desire for your life? Do you desire God to direct and to guide your life? It also says, whosoever desires to come after me, and so the great thing about following Jesus is, is that you can begin to follow him right where you are. Sometimes we sing that old hymn, just as I am. Because God lets you begin that journey right where you are. If anyone desires to come after me and all of this sounds good, doesn't it? But the next couple of statements get difficult. Because Jesus says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Wait a minute. You mean I have to deny myself? And, and we're not very good at that, are we? In fact, we have been taught it is our culture to be self-centric, to get what we want, when we want it, how we want it, when we want it, where we want it. But Jesus says that if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. And so what happens is, is that this is a battle of the wills and only one will can occupy your life. It's either going to be your will or God's will. It's either going to be my will or God's will. Our lives can't occupy both of those. Or as Jesus says, no man can serve two masters. Or either he will hate the one or love the other. You can't serve two masters, can you? You know, there's that TV show, Hoarders. And I don't know if you've ever seen it. I've seen it a time or two, and every time I see it, I can't believe it. That people pack in so much, so many things into their house. So many things. And in fact, the houses become almost inhabitable. They're walking through trails to get, and they just 
taken so many things and packed it in. And so the house gets to the point to where it can't receive anything else, can it? Sometimes I wonder if we were to look into each of our hearts, how many things would be in there? And sometimes we can be so filled with the things of this world, with the concerns of this world, and even full of ourselves that we're unable to receive anything from God. That we've hoarded so many things of this world that there's no room for God to occupy the room of our hearts and the room of our lives. And that's why Jesus begins this by saying, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself that we have to make room for God's will in our life. And that begins by us denying ourselves. In fact, Paul said it like this, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared unto all men, teaching us denying ungodliness, worldly lust." that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. That the grace of God teaches us to deny things, to deny ungodliness. And when we begin to deny those things, we make room for the will of God. And then Jesus also says that whosoever desires to come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross. To take up this cross that every Jewish person knew was a form of terrible execution. When it says take up a cross, it, it literally means to lift from the ground, to pick it up, to carry that cross. Why? Why are we talking about the cross? It is because the cross is the meeting place between God and man. That God ordained that it was there that God and man would meet. It is the place where heaven and earth meet. It is the place where time and eternity meet. It is the place where sin and righteousness meet. It is the place where God's judgment, God's love, God's grace, God's mercy coalesce into one place, the cross of Jesus. And so there is this magnetism to the cross. It draws people. Jesus says, if I am lifted up, I will draw all people unto myself in John 12, 32. And at the same time, the cross also repels people. Because Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1, he says that the cross of Jesus is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. To understand the cross is to understand the heart of God. That God in himself took upon the sins of the world and satisfied the law. And so God's righteousness, God's love are both revealed in the cross of Jesus. But there's also something very public about the cross. 
Jesus was crucified in public. And so the walk of the disciple is one of a public testimony, confession to those who are around us. Don't get me wrong. This doesn't mean that our religion is about show or that our following Jesus is about show, but our lives are to be seen. Jesus said it like this in Matthew chapter 5, 13 and following, that we're to be the light of the world, that we're to be the city on the hill. We're to be seen. And it says that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And so we're not to do it to be seen, but those deeds are to be seen because we're carrying the cross of Jesus. It also says that word daily, to take up the cross daily. And the life of a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, is one of a daily call. Remember when Jesus gives his prayer, he says, give us this day our daily bread, our reliance on God is daily. Somebody once said, the problem with the Christian life is that it is so daily. You see, we never arrive in the Christian life, but it's always that pursuit there's always a new day. His mercies are new, it says in Lamentations, every morning to take up the cross daily. And then it says to follow me. One of the things that is so unique about Jesus, and when I say unique, I mean singular to Jesus, is that when Jesus teaches that his life and his teaching are fully integrated together. That what he says, he does. What he does, he says. And when you look at other teachers, when you look at other preachers, when you look at me, you will see that some days that I will say things and then my life departs from what I say. And we see that in other religious leaders and other teachers but with Christ, we see that Jesus fulfills his teaching in a literal way and in a spiritual way. It says that Christ left us an example that we should follow in his steps. So God gave us more than this book of rules. He gave us the perfect example of it. The personification of righteousness is found in Jesus. What happens in Luke chapter 9 is very interesting because towards the end of that chapter, Luke reveals something very interesting in verses 51 and 52. It says that Jesus, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. You see, Jesus taught this lesson of denying the self and taking up the cross. And it's from this point in Luke's gospel that Jesus begins his journey to Jerusalem, where he will be received on Palm Sunday victorious with anticipation, with great expectation. But Christ knows that his ultimate mission is to die for the sins of humanity. 
and to be raised on the third day. So why the cross? It is because when we trust in the cross, we trust in God's saving power. We're not trusting in our own righteousness. We're not trusting in our own goodness, but we're trusting in what God has done for us. Trusting in the power of God, which is revealed in the cross. We also see the faithfulness of God, that God was faithful to humanity. He was faithful to Abraham. He was faithful to Moses. He was faithful to David. He was faithful to you and me. And we also see the perfect obedience of Jesus in the cross. And so in the cross, we see God satisfying the covenant and satisfying it on both ends. He is satisfying it as God and as man in the person of Jesus Christ. He pays our debt in full by dying on the cross. It is the greatest story that's ever been told that God has loved humanity so much that he was willing to give of himself to do that. And so it says in Luke chapter 9 that there is a paradox. And it says that for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what advantage is it for a man if he gains the whole world and he is himself destroyed and lost? You see, there is this divine addition that happens that by losing our life for Christ, we gain our soul. By losing our own selves, by denying ourselves, we gain eternity. And Jesus says, that is the greatest gain that you can ever have. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Because God has given you a gift of everlasting life, an eternal soul within you. And that's so very precious, so precious that Christ died that you might be saved. And so we are saved by coming to Christ in faith and in repentance and the cross is the very picture of repentance, of turning from our sins, denying ourselves and accepting Christ and confessing Christ to be the Son of God and baptized, immersed into his church for the forgiveness of sins. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. As a part of God's people, as a part of his disciples, we also take part of what Christ instituted in that last week of his life. During the Passover, he instituted what is called the Lord's Supper, communion. And it's there we remember and center ourselves on what Jesus has done for us. Will you join me as I partake of the bread and the fruit of the vine? Dear Lord, thank you so much for what you have done for us 
And Father, help us to lift our own cross. Help us to show what you have done through Christ for this world. That in it is the power of God unto salvation. And Lord, we partake of this bread which represents his body. We pray that we'll take it in a way pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you pray with me again? Father God, thank you for this fruit of the vine which represents the very blood of Jesus that was shed to forgive our sins. May we repent and turn from them this week and may we remember what you have done for us through Jesus, through whom we pray, amen. Thank you so much for joining us this week as we look to the teachings of Jesus. And so I hope today you, like me, will we will cleanse and make room for the will of God. And we do that by coming after Christ and by denying ourselves and by lifting the cross of Jesus daily. And that when we lose ourselves, we gain eternity. May God bless you this week in carrying the greatest message that's ever been told and holds the greatest promise for tomorrow. That is the gospel of Christ. May God bless you, may he keep you, and may his face shine upon you. God bless you.